sort of connection. So just as we say, we're family in this room, we're family as churches together, working in the regions beyond. So it's amazing to see that at work. Um, So we're back in our series uh, in Genesis through these early chapters. Um, And I'm just going to start by reading to you, um, and it should come up on the screen, um, from chapter 8, verse 20, and I'm going to read until uh, chapter 9, verse 17. So if you've got your Bibles, do you want to turn there with me? Otherwise it will come up on the screen. You can follow along. So 8, verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. So this is all after the ark, the water subsided. Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. And the Lord blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground, all the fish of the sea. Into your hands they are delivered." Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And, you shall, and as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it. And from man, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man his blood be shed. For God made man in his image. And you, be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you, you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you. As many came out of the ark, it is for every beast on the earth. I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and all the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and, my, and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant made between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all flesh on the earth. So we are in this series um, through these early chapters in Genesis. And one of the things that we've, we've wanted to make clear right from the start is that 
um, one of the things that the purposes of these chapters uh, is, is to show us the story that we're part of. Right? These are not um, individual stories with morals attached, um, with lessons attached to them. Um, the danger is that that's how we treat them, is that we, we come to them and we think, oh, well, here's a story, you know, uh, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, Noah and the ark, and we, we look for lessons in them, moral uh, uh, takeaways, what's the moral of this story, what am I meant to learn from this? But, but what, as we've said, these things are to set up the story that we're part of, that we belong to. You know, you can get something from them, from treating them as as a children's story with a moral attached. But that's not what we're called to see when we come to them. Jesus says, doesn't he? He says, you know, all of these things, referring to all scripture, they point to me. If you're reading them correctly, you're going to see me. If you're reading the Old Testament in the way it ought to be read, you're going to see Jesus. And Paul says, you know, if, if, like, if you try and read them without Jesus... He's writing to the Corinthians. He says, if you try and read these things without understanding them in light of Jesus and without understanding that they're about Jesus, it's like reading them with a blanket over your head. You're not going to see what it's about. You're going to miss things. You're going to miss it in its entirety. And so as we've come through this series, we've wanted to show and see that this is about Jesus and where it's going in that story. And so we've seen that... Um, that God, who makes all things, makes all things for his glory. We started there, didn't we, as Dan kicked off in our series, and we saw that creation is all about him. It's not about us. It's about God displaying himself. And we've seen that in that we were given a commission, a role to play. We are image bearers. We are to fill the earth and multiply and to take um, the image of the glory of God as humans. That's our role that we play and we're called to take that to the ends of the earth. And we've seen that the implication of that for us today is um, as a church, as a body of believers, we are called to carry the good news to the ends of the earth. And so it's amazing to be part of something like Regions Beyond in which we're able to do that and partner with many who are doing that. We've seen that, that there are gifts given to us, you know, marriage, work, rest, families, relationships. These are things that are put in our hands to be able to display the glory of God through. But we've also seen that there has been a fall and that we've all made that mistake and that mankind has, has fell away from the purposes that God called us into. We've all done that. And so suddenly those things, the family, marriage, sexuality, work and rest, they have become twisted forms of themselves. And so we are fighting for new life. And so these stories kind of set all of that up and lead us to look ahead to something else. So I don't know about you, but I have watched some films where the ending has less me completely dissatisfied. Uh, it's just rubbish. It's naff. There are loose ends that haven't been tied up. There are things that don't quite fit. You're thinking, why, like, why have you done that? It's like the, the writers have like, rushed the ending. They're like, okay, we've set up a big problem, but we haven't quite got there. And it leaves you wanting more. You're thinking, this can't be the end of the story because this hasn't been solved yet. And that person's still, you know, the baddies are still running around over there. What's going on? And 
In the same way, the writer to, to the Hebrews, he talks about the Old Testament. He talks about these stories as what producing that same response in us. He, took, he uses this sort of language of it's, it's incomplete, it's not finished. These things that we're reading about in the Old Testament, they're not, they're not the fullness of what we're going to see. And so they leave us longing for something else. They leave us waiting to see the thing that is going to come and complete it and finish the story that was started. And so that's, that's where we're left as we read these stories. And so I, kind of, I want us to look at where we come to the other side of the flood in light of all of that. Okay, we're seeing some moments of, of, of victory, but we're also seeing something that's not quite finished. There are loose ends not tied up, and there is something greater to be looked ahead to, and we need to understand them in light of Jesus. So last week, Mark began as we looked at this story of Noah and um, we, we saw God makes this, this terrible pronouncement, this judgment over the earth as he says, um, he says this, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. We need to feel the weight of that actually. The Lord looked out and saw that man was always evil all the time. That's, that's the pronouncement over us as we are without, without Jesus. Always evil all the time. That's not how many of us would introduce ourselves. Hi, I'm Josh. I'm always evil all the time. We, we, but, but that's the, the pronouncement that God makes over all mankind. He says, mankind is evil, and so he regrets. There's this statement, I regret that I made mankind. I regret this. That's something else to, to, to chew on. What does it mean for God to regret that? And so God passes judgment on the human race and on all the earth. I'm going to wipe it out. And yet, as we saw, God is still committed to those purposes that we saw set up in those early chapters. I will still have my, uh, my glory displayed across the earth. I will still have mankind fill the earth with my glory. And so he picks Noah, who we hear later is righteous by faith, we see in Hebrews 11. He, says he chooses Noah and says, no, you are going to be the vessel by which I will save mankind. And we saw, as we looked at that story, and actually the New Testament writers do the same thing as well, as we look at that story, we see a parallel with what Jesus is going to do. Jesus is going to be the vessel by which we're saved. Just as Noah went into the ark and was remembered by God and was held by God and protected from the storm, protected from the judgment, so too, any of us who enter into Christ are saved from the judgment. Are saved, not because of who we are or what we've done, but because we trusted God enough to get on board. We trusted God with our lives by saying, yes, I will do, I will obey. So, God, so Noah is commanded to build the ark and the flood comes. The animals get in two by two, hurrah, hurrah. And they are in the ark and they are saved and God remembers them. And, they, and so now at this point we see that Noah and company have come through the storm. They're on the other side and the flood has subsided, and God decides to never again flood the earth. But right away, 
we see that this is not because all the baddies have been dealt with. God's, like God's first judgment. If we go right back to that first slide. As he, as he sees the world after the flood, he says, I will never again... Verse 22, I will never again curse the ground because of man. Okay, why God? Why won't you curse the ground because of man? For the intention of man's heart is evil from its youth. Now that's interesting. It sounds like the reason that God is saying I'm not going to do this again is the same reason he gave when he said I'm going to do it. And it's true. God says, God looks at the world and he sees that the condition of man's heart hasn't changed. In fact, he expounds on it. He says, it's not just that he's evil all the time. He's evil all the time from birth. And God looks across and he says, I will not wipe out man because actually, whilst I have brought holy judgment and I've displayed glorious wrath, I have not saved man from his greatest problem. That is his own heart. We immediately see that this is true. We immediately see that sin is still reigning in the heart of man because Noah himself, straight after the flood, he falls into sin and his sons with him. And right away we're seeing that this problem has not been solved. The heart of man is still a rebel against God, still hates God, still disobeys God still longs for other things and seeks after other things and is caught up in sin. That is the condition of the human heart. And that's, you know, and, and, and this story sort of shows us in that first way what we're going to see through the rest of Scripture, that this is the condition that we're in. Jesus, again and again in his ministry, he wants to make it clear, the problem with you isn't what you do. It's not that you've done something wrong, it's that you're the sort of person who does wrong things. He says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. He calls the Pharisees, who, who do all the religious things right, he calls them whitewashed tombs. You're clean on the outside, but you stink of death on the inside. And there is nothing you can do to do it, to, to, to change anything about that. You can put rules in place. You can put things in place that are going to try and protect you to an extent. And we see that that's, that's what happens But the heart is the same, same rotten, God-hating heart is there. And so, you know, this this phrase that some people use when when they're caught in sin, when they're caught doing something they know they shouldn't be doing, they say, I I don't know what came over me, that's not not who I am. I'm not like that really, I just just made a mistake. Scripture makes it very clear that that's not true, (laughs) that actually... It's not, you didn't just slip up and make a mistake. You were doing what you are. If you've committed adultery, it's not because you've made a mistake. It's because in your heart, you're an adulterer. If you've uh, been greedy in a moment, it's not because there was a moment of greed, but in your heart, you're greedy and self-serving. And Jesus wants to make this again, and makes this point again and again and again. He says, you, you think that if you commit adultery, that's sin. But I'm telling you that if you even look at a woman with lust, you have committed adultery in your heart. If you get, even get angry at your brother, you've committed murder in your heart. And so the condition of man remains the same, even the other side of the flood. We're told, 
Ephesians 2 that we are by nature. So this is, this is the nature that we're born with, by the way. By nature, we are children of wrath. And so when we sin, we sin because we're sinners. We're not sinners because we sin. No, when we sin, it's just the outworking of who we are. And so the problem is more than just, right, I need to get rid of get all the baddies and put them in what this one area and do away with them and then the goodies will reign free. The problem goes right into the heart of every man and woman and child. And it's that that, that, that Jesus wants to deal with. David, when he's caught in sin, as he's writing the psalm, he says, I was born in sin and I was woven in iniquity. He recognizes that what he's done is just the outflow of who he is. And so the big issue that we see, having taken hold of the heart of man pre-flood, remains the same after judgment. Still there. But God is still committed to working out his purposes in creation, despite the sinful nature, and even through our sinful nature, will make himself known and will make himself seen to be glorious. So we see in the beginning of Genesis 9 that God, there's this moment of victory. There is a moment of victory. And we see incredible parallels between the beginning of Genesis 9 and, and those first chapters in Genesis 1 and 2 where, where God instates man as his image bearer and ruler over creation. There's this incredible parallel and we see it. You know, God reinstates and reaffirms man. You know, it's still God's will that the earth be filled with, the, with his glory through mankind as his image bearer. And so in these verses we see... Um, God say three times, no less, be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. That plan still exists. That's still where we're going. So he reinstates man as rulers over creation on his behalf. He reaffirms man, male and female, as his image bearer on earth. And he recommissions them. Go. Go. This charge I gave you, I still want you to carry be my image bearers. Make my glory known. And so this is a moment of victory. Something that of what has been lost is being restored to man at this point. And yet, and yet, there is the bitter taste of sin in it all. There's a moment in, in the Old Testament where the Jews, having been exiled, the temple's been destroyed, they come back to uh, Jerusalem, they rebuild the temple... And there are some people, as they see the completed temple, they cry out in joy and worship God. But there are others who, having seen this temple restored, weep because they remember what it used to be. And there's the same sort of moment happening here with Noah. There's a a moment of rejoicing, but there's a weeping as well because... It's not been restored to its fullness. It's not been restored. It's not been completed. This isn't what it's going to look like. Derek Kidner, a commentator and theologian, says this. Although there are echoes here of God's charge to Adam, sin has darkened the scene. 
the image of God remains and man is still heaven's viceroy or, or representative, but his regime or rule will be largely one of fear. His fellow creatures are now his food and violence is abroad in the earth. Things are not exactly as they were. Noah has not brought back everything that Adam lost. Noah is not the new Adam. But we're told as we look ahead that Jesus is. Jesus is. This is, this is unsatisfying because it's not the end of the story. There's something else coming. We're told in Romans, and I know that Mark read this out last week, you know, that therefore as, as one trespass, as one sin, as one failing in Adam led to the condemnation, led to condemnation for all men. So one act of righteousness, the moment of self-giving righteousness, no greater love has one, as man than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. And that moment of righteousness leads to the justification of all men. For just by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. That's us. So by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. And that's us if we believe in Jesus. If we're born again, as has been said this morning. And so what we see here is not the complete restoration of humanity, but a foretaste and a foreshadow of what will be. We see that actually the presence of sin and death does bring three major threats actually against God's plan for humanity. You know, we see that there's disorder in creation. There's the sinfulness of man itself at work in man killing man. <laughs> and there is God's own righteous judgment against sin. And so... Uh, God has to put things in place to guard his commission and his reinstating of man against these things. So he says, now animals are going to fear you. They're not going to attack you, they're going to fear you. That's going to be the natural order of things. It's not, it's not a perfect restoration, but there's a sort of something put in place to, to, to cope with the disorder in creation. Then he also puts the, gives this law, you know, if anybody kills man, that person's going to be put to death. This is the first law we see in, in Scripture. There's a kind of to protect against the sinfulness of man, which we've already seen at work in Cain um, killing Abel. God says, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop that from happening. I'm going to put a law in place that means that if this happens, there is something to deter it from happening in the first place and something to punish it when it does happen. And then finally, we see God's covenant with mankind as he says, I will never again wipe out uh, all flesh. And so God not only puts a holder on creation working against God's order or against mankind working against God's order, but it also he puts a restriction on his own righteous anger. And he says, I will not wipe out all flesh. And he needs to do this because he's still committed to what he's going to do. And so we see this covenant that God makes with mankind. He says, I will not destroy you. I'm not going to destroy you. And the sign of the covenant is incredible. This, this, the, the rainbow. We've seen them a few times, I think, in whole. But, we, but this, this, this picture of the sign of the covenant is something that we don't produce ourselves. God himself produces the sign of the covenant. Just in case we were to get confused and think that, well, if, if God's not going to flood us, then I need to make a rainbow. Um, no, God says, I will show you that I will not do it. 
And then, of course, we see as we go further into where we are now as Christians, we see that we don't live in a covenant simply of, I'm not going to destroy you. (laughs) We live in a covenant of life where God says, I will love you. I will give you a new heart, a heart that isn't caught up in sin, a heart that isn't rebellious against me, but a heart that is for me, that is, that is to me, that is free to live. I will set you free from sin and death. I will give you myself. I will give you my best. Anyone who's thirsty, come to me. Let him drink. You hungry? Come. You needy? Come. So, as the writer of the Hebrews said, you know, there's something perfect that is coming that is going to replace what Noah has given here. A covenant that will outshine it in every way. No longer is God just saying, I'm not going to kill you. <laughs> He's saying, I am going to be with you. I'm going to give you new life and life to its fullness. Amen? <laughs> Good. Good to hear that some people believe that. And as we've seen, this new covenant comes with that new commission as well. We're told, just as Noah was told, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. We're told, go into the ends of the earth, make disciples of every nation, fill the earth, multiply. And again, God doesn't just say, and I'm not going to actively work against you by killing you all. He says, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to give you my spirit. I'm going to empower you. And so the greater um, covenant, the greater agreement with God of I will give you my best is accompanied by a greater commission and a greater promise. I am going to be with you. I'm going to be there alongside you working out these things I'm going to be there producing disciples with you, bringing people into new life with you, fighting for new life with that person that you've been praying for day after day, for year after year. I am there with you for them, fighting for their heart. That's the promise we have. And it's incredible. I wonder if we could just be joined by the the band now as we, we finish. But... I remember I started, when we, when we started the series, we, when I first introduced this kind of the, the idea of man as the image bearer of God, I, I read out that passage to you, didn't I? The, you know, the, that promise that one day the glory of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. That's the promise that we're living for. That's what we're looking ahead to. That's where this is all going. That's what God was building to right in those early chapters. That's what he's building to now. But Jesus comes and he says, you know, it's going to be, as he's talking about the coming of the kingdom of God, the coming of that glory in its full and final way. It's going to be, he says, it's going to be just like it was in the days of Noah. People are going to be making plans for their holidays. People are going to be getting married and give it, being given in marriage. I remember in the build-up to our marriage, Jen and I, we, we, had, we were looking ahead to the future. These guys, they're excited about the future, and rightly so. But, but Jesus says, 
in those moments, people are, people are looking ahead, they're making plans, they've got their, their lives lined up, but suddenly the glory of God comes. And the promise is that we will either be caught up in it gloriously and wonderfully in Christ and in that glory, or we will be swept away by it. But thank God that love has made a way. That he has made a means by which we can know him. So we're going to just go into worship now with that in mind. And and I just wonder if there are people here who, who know that they're still in that place of I am a sinful person before a holy God. Would you respond? Would you bring yourself to the only person who can save you? Jesus. Jesus, who is the vessel by which mankind can be saved. So we're going to sing about this love. And we're going to go into it. If you've got children and explorers, please do um, go and collect them bring them back in so that they can respond to. Thank you. The rest of us want to stand together. Here is love vast as the ocean loving kindness as a flood when the prince of life our ransom shed for us his precious blood who is love not remember who can cease to sing his praise he will never be forgotten throughout hymns eternal day on the mount on the mount of crucifixion fountains open deep and wide through the flood gates of God's mercy flow divided and gracious tide grace and love like mighty rivers poured in sand from above and hence peace and perfect justice kiss to give to is wider, no love is deeper, no love is truer, no love is higher, no love is wider, no love is like your love, oh Lord, no love, no love is higher, no love is wider, no love is deeper, no love is truer, no love is higher. 
church family that a young man 42 father of two children had died when he'd been killed in a car accident and today we've heard you know if you don't know where you're going get cracking and find out because we our days are numbered yeah amen and you know like um, God is is still in the business of saving souls and healing our diseases and calling us back to him and that's that's what God is doing in 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 this nation in the nations of the earth he's calling people to himself yesterday it was great to see people come to faith on Alpha you know in Hull you know it's great to see in the nations of the earth people coming to Christ and I would encourage you like Irene said what why why put it off come to Jesus today it's the best thing you can do and I want to say as well that you know the power of God is here if you've got sickness come and receive prayer if you've got um, addictions and bondages and things that are holding you back from fully entering into a relationship with Christ come come God can set you free he's in the business of setting us free he wants to set us free come you're still time
Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise His name forevermore, for endless days. We will sing Your praise, oh Lord, oh Lord.
the, the end of our meeting for this morning. Um, if you would still like to receive prayer, if you want to respond to God today um, or come down for prayer for healing, please.